OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Why don't we start off? And I know you've uh, got some very exciting stories. You've shared a lot of good things about how you've done what you've done, but maybe you can give us a, a, a little intro on Bernie and where you, where, what's all about Bernie? Where'd you come from? What's your, uh, um, yeah, what kind of moved you down this path of investment? But, you know, what was your career like? Sure. Um, so I'll take it back um, you know, to the beginning. So I'm a, a, um, originally from around the area here. Um, you know, after chapter one of my career after school, um, I got into venture at pretty early stage of my career. Um, so this was down, I was in New York City, ended up joining what became, um, in essence, an organized family office with a particular interest in early stage investing and supporting entrepreneurs. Um, so really, that was the year 2000 with the emergence of internet, let's call it 1.0, kind of the media side of you know, what the internet could become and spent about 10 years doing early stage investing. Um, that was with uh, that group in New York called Carrot Capital. Um, in 2004, I moved up to Montreal, joined a firm that's now known as Inovia Capital. Um, so also doing early stage investing um, in companies across Canada and the US at an early stage, primarily in, in IT. After spending about 10 years um, on the investment side at a pretty young age, just felt that inner need to kind of sit on the other side of the table and, and try to become an entrepreneur. And uh, so I moved back to Toronto and worked with a couple of co-founders and we created a company that was called Pure Energies. And this was a company that helped homeowners find good solar offerings for their households. Uh, we ended up growing that into becoming, you know, one of the leading and the leading um, solar provider in the province of Ontario and then um, acquired a company that was based in San Francisco and then ran another company that was down headquartered out of there where we also helped out homeowners across 13 states in the U.S. all find, you know, good solar solutions for the rooftops. Um, had a really, you know, kind of like the real roller coaster ride of, of what I would say is like initial exuberance and success with the crushing, you know, crashing down of realities as we went through our, you know, a tough period. Um, but uh, over the course of that, you know, raised a, you know, an amount of, of venture financing. So went through that route with institutional VCs, um, venture debt financing, and it culminated into getting on the radar of a large public company um, and ended up becoming a strategic acquisition for them. Um, so, you know, spent some time doing the, you know, the, the merger and integration of our company. Um, at that point, it was about 200 employees into an organization that was you know, many times larger than us. Um, that itself was a short chapter, which was kind of interesting to go through and uh, kind of as like a classical kind of Harvard business case of what happens with startups that get absorbed into larger organizations. Um, and then, you know, since that time, I've had the chance to spend some time, um, you know, paying it forward and helping out entrepreneurs. Um, in some cases, I've done it as an investor. Often it's like as what we call an active investor, you know, an advisor um, as well. Um, I've also, you know, had the opportunity to help out organizations like Mars, um, the Mars Discovery District, um, and currently am helping as a coach with, uh, with a group um, which is associated with the WE Charity, which is the WE Social Impact Accelerator, a new accelerator that is um, designed to help, you know, accelerate the, the performance and success of, uh, of startup companies that have a, a social impact lens to them. 
That's amazing. So I like the fact that you said you tried. I think you pretty much succeeded in running an entrepreneurial business. I'm not sure how much effort was the try part. I think the try might have been for the first few days and then you took it off and turned it into a, to an amazing business. So that, that sounds like a, an awesome journey from a venture capitalist to entrepreneur to coach venture capitalist again. So it sounds like a, a full rounded investment studio there. And I think that's uh, that's brilliant. So you kind of went through all these streams and you started off on the other side of uh, investing first before you went into a business uh, and felt the urge to give back. So what was the real, uh, what's the real driver that got you into this? Even when you were doing it back in New York, what did you really like about it? What made you really think, man, I got to stay in this space. I'm, I'm never leaving. I love this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was probably a little bit was a product of the time, um, you know, in the early 2000s, well, 1999, 2000, there was really, you know, this, this exuberance that was in the air with Internet 1.0. But it was kind of like the story of possibilities. We're starting to hear about, you know, this new kind of layer that's, that's coming out, which is going to kind of make information free for all, um, you know, remove kind of some of the barriers to access education, information, content, new forms of content. It's just there was so much excitement. And, you know, someone that's 23 years old, <laughs> you feed off of that. And that probably helped kind of like set the tone just for the next, you know, 20 some odd years of, uh, of that followed that. And that was where the initial catalyst was, um, you know, in terms of like my, my, my entry and foray into the entrepreneurial world. Oh, that's brilliant. When you were going through this um, stage and getting into it, did you have a mentor? Did you have somebody that you kind of looked up to or somebody that kind of helped coach you through this? Because again, you're in a whole new space. Like you said, you're young, you got this new internet thing. You're like, this stuff's amazing. Did someone kind of help you work your way through that? Because venture capital is completely different then than it was 20 years before and than it is even today. Sadly, no. If I was a little brighter, I would have tried to find one. Um, I think the, the state of the market in the industry is, um, is very different, much more evolved now than it was 20 some odd years ago um, or 20 years ago. Um, I think, you know, I was in the New York market at that time. There was a handful of, of venture firms that were out there, but the amount of content that was being produced uh, that you can find now, the number of stories that, you know, were being transferred and handed down, um, that didn't really exist. I mean, there was a lot of activity that's happening around Silicon Valley, you know, in California, but that still was its own region. New York, you know, was Silicon Alley. And it was had its own crew of companies that were kind of coming out through that time period. So a lot of it was trial, trial and experiment, um, you know, trial and error. Um, and that's how we kind of like stumbled and worked our way through it. You know, they often say that, you know, to, to be in the venture industry, um, it's like, I think they say it's like a four or $500,000 cost. And the reason being is that your first couple of deals that you end up doing, they all kind of like blow up because it takes a couple of mistakes, you know, before you have some sense of, what you're actually doing um yeah no i can see that um i've made a few mistakes in my time so i'm not even sure they're mistakes i think it's all part of the the learning, learning experiences yeah it's all about learning right your your whole goal is that you're trying to uh help move other businesses to go forward and your job is to kind of coach uh utilize um, assets or, or financial assets to move something forward. So you're kind of all working together to move this ship forward. And sometimes the ship's too early. Sometimes the ship doesn't have the right material and they don't weather the storm. So it's, it's a learning process and it happens 
maybe too often that you can't weather the storm, but I think you get better at figuring out what tactic ways can get you through some of these. And, and uh, a lot of it's probably uh, getting a lot more people involved in what you're doing than just obviously a small group trying to help float a lot of boats. Right. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I would agree. I mean, ventures, a, a very kind of interesting asset class um, and stage, you know, there's so much uncertainty at the early stages of things. And look, it's hard enough in life to predict 24 hours out as opposed to five to 10 years out. So there's a lot of fuzziness, right? There's a lot of um, things that aren't clear ahead of a company. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it later on, but, you know, it kind of like boils down to, you know, what are some of the key success factors that, you know, I've probably learned, at least in my belief, um, during the course of investing at different stages. And, you know, from the early stage side, that's why so much of it you hear that comes down to like, you know, you're betting on the, the jockey, not the horse. You're betting on the people. You're betting on the team um, because they're the ones that are going on the adventure. And they'll probably make you know, the same sorts of mistakes and they're going to stumble a few times. So it's just, are they going to be the ones that are quick enough to realize it quickly and can pivot and change course, you know, when needed? Um, you know, so, you know, different features. I'm sure if you spoke to 10 different investors, you get many different answers on, on their kind of take towards how they like to invest in things. But, you know, I'm uh, at the early stage side of things, very much a, a people person. And that's, uh, you know what, you're bang on. That's really a lot of, a lot of investors really take it to the, the leader at that stage because so many unknowns are there. So they really do have to focus in on and the and belief and get behind the, uh, the jockey in this case, because really they are the ones that are going to lead the way. And hopefully they're going to get around the, a couple of events and get more people interested to get part of that race. And that takes time, right? So uh, you're right. It, it does come down to the people and, and that's a, a very valuable, valuable point. Do you think that um, to deviate a little bit, do you think that a lot of um, investors look for when they're making an investment that the startup or the founder has a mentor or that they have some coaching behind them? Or do you like it if they're early enough that they don't have any of that? So when you come in, you're like, perfect, I'm jumping in. I'm going to help full on. This is a, a perfect kind of uh, startup for me. So I'll paraphrase your question. <laughs> As you said, you know, what is, is there an importance towards looking for founders that have mentors um, in place, um, which is a separate versus looking for situations where I can lean in perhaps as being that mentor. Um, you know, as a personal case, um, I'm not necessarily looking to become a mentor per se for the companies that, uh, that I've been involved in as an investor. Um, so certainly having, um, founders who have built a network, a support system around them, of people that trust them, that are willing to give time and energy and attention, um, towards, you know, helping them succeed and want to see them succeed. Those are, those are definite positives. Um, just to establish that mentor, you know, connection itself is a win. It shows that, you know, it, you're likely you have a founder that is um, humble enough to listen to someone that's gone through a different experience set. Um, that's ambitious enough to try to find those sorts of people and are willing to learn probably, you know, speaks, you know, and signals their ability, um, the whole kind of coachability that people like to throw around in terms of, you know, is this a founder or a set of founders that are, you know, willing to be coached? I think those are all positive signals. So um, I certainly, you know, have looked, uh, look positively at those types of situations. 
That's great. So it, it does help de-risk the, the business overall then because it looks like they're doing a lot more to help themselves. So if that's the case, then you're a little bit more comfortable to kind of gear into that. So uh, that's great. Um, what's, the, what's your favorite part of investing? Or what have you found to be your favorite part of investing from over the last you know, 20 years of uh, working in and out of the space? So in my past experience, because I don't consider myself an investor per se, um, you know, I don't like to call myself an angel investor, although I've made a number of angel investments. Um, but can we call you that then, even though you don't want to call yourself that? We'll call <laughs> you an angel investor because you fit the criteria? Sure. <laughs> we can go with that. All right. um, but, you know, I think that the, 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 one of the really great features about kind of, you know, playing the investor in a sense and, you know, taking that role is really is, is, is the energy that you get speaking with a lot of incredibly bright people. Um, you're chatting with people, you're talking about effectively what they think their dreams are going to be. You know, there's a lot of excitement, um, you know, that comes, or, you know, comes along with that. And, you know, if you're a person that kind of feeds off of that, that is, is thrilling. Now I'll, I'll kind of like continue on, you know, the conversation, which is like, what is the tough part? Um, about being an investor in a sense. I think, you know, a lot, one of the key hard things about being an investor is the frequency of which you have to say the word no. Um, you're getting pitched a lot. You're getting pitched frequently. And many times you're just saying, you know, there's not a fit. There's lots of different reasons. Um, but ultimately, you know, you're trying to, I believe, actually do justice by giving a, a fast no as opposed to a prolonged maybe. Um, I think as, you know, on the entrepreneur side, you rather, you want to know where you stand. It's like, hey, we may be interested if dot, 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 or yes, we love what you're doing. We'd love to continue the conversation, dot, 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 or just a fast, no, you know, don't think it's for us. Thank you. Great. <laughs> you know how to move on as opposed to that, ah, my, you know, sounds pretty interesting, you know, let's keep in touch and not really, and there's not really a lot of action or momentum happening. You know, I think those are kind of like the harder situations. No, I like that. And, and I think it's a, it might be a Canadian thing versus uh, other countries where you take a little bit longer to say no when uh, it could be blatantly a no, but I think maybe we're too nice somewhere. But I do agree that there has to be a lot more formative action to take place because the startups need to move quicker. And uh, a lot of the times um, we're trying to move the startup through that, if you want to call it a funnel, but you're moving them through and they're trying to pick up things along the way. And it's easier just to be able to hear that no and move forward than to burn time and to uh, um, get high hopes. So you're on that roller coaster ride. And I think the uh, roller coaster ride gets a bit bumpy when uh, things get a little too tight and people are dragging along instead of just giving you that firm no. So, and it has to work on both sides too. I think the startup needs to say no a lot more too, right? You're wasting my time. So thank you, but I'm going to move on. And I, I think it kind of works both ways. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to carry on and I'll kind of like, let's go on a tangent a little bit. I think that entrepreneurs, you know, it'd be good for entrepreneurs to enter these conversations to think about these all as the establishment of relationships, though. So, you know, you may have a good conversation with the investor that ultimately doesn't go somewhere. But through the course of the conversation, they might ask a few probing questions that you actually haven't thought about. They might view the opportunity in a different way that just helps broaden your own thinking. Maybe they can even make a, an introduction that's helpful, even though they're not going to invest. I mean, it doesn't just have to be yes or no. I think that there's a lot, you know, um, that can be done if you're, if approached in, in the right way and with, with that kind of like mindset. Um, the second thing, you know, to, 
to maybe chat a little bit as you, you brought up kind of the difference between Canada and the U.S. And, and I'm not as, you know, as not as up to speed on on what that difference is these days. I think that, you know, when I first came back to the Canadian market 15 years ago, uh, what I saw in Canada was different from what I saw in the U.S. Um, you know, I think there's an evolution for how the Canadian BC industry kind of came to be versus how the U.S. Uh, market came to be and also the length of time that they've been in those markets. But my impression is that that gap is narrowing. Um, it's narrowing and it's narrowing quickly. I think you have more, you know, investment professionals um, that are, you know, kind of like more steeped in the way that it's done down in the U.S. They probably spent more time in the U.S. market. They themselves may have been operators um, as well as have been, you know, run successful companies in the past. Um, so, you know, I just know in terms of the colleagues and people that are within the industry that, that I come across that, you know, I think that, you know, there's a, a high caliber of, of, uh, of investor base that's out there. For sure. And it gets better every year, right? We, you always want to be like your big brother or your big sister. So you're going to work as hard as you can to be like them. So uh, I think we're, we're pretty close, if not uh, in most cases, the same. We, we've all got the same end goal. So there's a lot of uh, uh, good collaboration there. Um, now, a lot of the investors have plans that they put together and they say every year I'm going to invest in X amount of companies. Um, I'm going to have some reinvestments. And this is kind of how I got to make my portfolio work. I'm going to find companies in this vertical. How do you kind of approach um, the investments that you make? Yeah, I wish that I could say, so the question to paraphrase it again is, you know, what's my approach towards the construction of a portfolio um, and, and how I put that together? Um, I would love to be able to say that I was as methodical as you're saying, and that I went into it with a, with a thesis for how to put something together. Um, that's not the case, <laughs> you know, in, in, in my case, in my story was, you know, I've had, you know, was lucky enough that when we, you know, we built and sold the company that I had the chance to, you know, allocate, uh, take a portion of the funds and, you know, put it towards really early stage investing. I love early stage given that the beginning of my career, um, you know, was in that. So probably geared a little differently than perhaps some other, uh, you know, early stage investors that are in Canada or perhaps in the U S um, so, so my approach was actually more, you know, as I said earlier, I'm a people person, more, most of the investments that I've done at this early stage have been just through personal contacts. So it's entrepreneurs that I know, people um, that I've known for many, many years, probably, you know, done business with them or have known them personally, you know, for, for a long time in different contexts. And uh, it's really those opportunities where, um, you know, I have, I have the belief, you know, in the, in, the, in the person and kind of what they're trying to build. And that's been the approach that, that I've taken. One interesting thing I would say is that uh, although I spent, you know, a decade doing um, early stage investing, when I moved out and you know, was building the solar company, you know, coming back out of that five and a half, six years later, was I was surprised, but realized just how fast the, the, the technology world and the evolution of technology has just surpassed me. And, you know, coming out six years later, um, I wasn't on top of everything anymore, right? And, uh, you know, it's uh, part of that, you know, also made me question whether I would almost be the right person 
<laughs> to do my own assessments of, of technology-based types of companies. So probably worth noting that, you know, some of my investments that I've done have not been technology-based. So I've done a number of investments that have been in the um, brand and CPG space as well. Um, and then for the technology side of it, um, the one thing that I, you know, I thought that was kind of smart was I was smart enough to realize that I probably wasn't um, as smart as I, as, <laughs> as, you know, as I should be. And so in that case, I ended up um, becoming an LP um, in a VC fund because I just felt that they were much more, you know, on top of the market. They have way better deal flow access. Uh, they've just been in it for so much longer. So, you know, you kind of like are willing to say, okay, love, you know, you deploy the capital in a sense. Um, and for that, you know, you're paying the management fee and the potential carry. Um, but I just thought that was the way I wanted to go. I promise we won't soundbite that part and use it everywhere. Okay. I promise we won't do that. <laughs> great. <laughs> no, that's great, man. We're done. The interview's over. That's all I was looking for. I can't believe you said that. That's great. <laughs> uh, so you're right. There's uh, it's interesting that the space moves so quickly now, uh, from five years ago, from 10 years ago, that the key concept is that it's not just tech. There's so many sectors out there that everybody's now vying for, you know, they're rehauling, um, uh, anything to do with aeronautics to everything that's in science areas. You've got FinTech, you've got 8 million verticals. So is there a vertical that you now say, you know what, I really enjoy this space. You talked about CPG and because all of these things are moving quickly and it doesn't always have to be about tech. Is there a certain category or verticals that really interest you more now uh, than you've ever been really looking into in the past? Well, I mean, I think that one of the areas of interest of mine is kind of this, you know, through the lens of the social impact. So that could be tech, that could be non-tech, but it's just this kind of like dual purpose of, Hey, let's build a business, but that's not just out to maximize the quotes profits or in the case of venture, much more growth, but where also like the outcome of what we're building here is something that we think actually pushes the world in a positive direction. Then you also have the other side, which is how you actually conduct business, which is, you know, internally and the people and how they conduct themselves and thinking about your, you know, being thoughtful about your supply chain and those sorts of things. Um, you know, those are areas that, that I am interested in. But generally, you know, I guess it's part of the curse of, of being in the venture industry is you just get too interested in too many things. Uh, sometimes you have to try to, you know, ignore that new shiny thing that's out in the corner of your eye and instead of like going down in cycles and, chasing those down um but uh no i mean i'm i'm not i wouldn't say uh, i'm much more of a generalist in a sense um than any aspect a sector and specialist in, in any no that's great and you're right the shiny penny syndrome is everywhere because there's so many cool things that are happening and sometimes you kind of got to weed through the cool stuff because uh cool stuff is that flashy shirt that you wore twice and you never wore again because you really didn't think you looked good in bright banana orange so kind of have or, or yellow sorry so you kind of have to really take a step back and think is this going to be able to stay and, and make the duration of time and grow as a business versus just being a band-aid fix to, for right now so right. You know, very valuable for that is but, there but that being but that being said i mean i think that it's useful for people and entrepreneurs to be aware of um you know vcs and investors um that in a sense there are sectors where there's you know exuberance and even in a market like this where we think the world has slowed down clearly i think that you're seeing trends in the area of digital health um, being transformed um, tool sets that help enable work from home when I mean, we've all kind of most of us have felt it 
Um, and you know, there will probably, at least in my estimation, be um, uh, a more permanent change in the way that enterprises um, run themselves. Um, so it has very interesting implications on what happens with real estate. It has implications on productivity. Clearly, you know, the way that we engage and communicate with ourselves, with each other, new tool sets that are going to be coming out um, to help that sort of thing. I mean, you know, all I think would be, you know, very um, interesting areas um, that where there is momentum. So that is kind of like sometimes that sparkle. But, you know, I think you historically see that in the venture industry is that there are these waves. Um, you know, in the past, of course, you could think about mobile as a wave. You could think, and we're still in the middle of artificial intelligence as a wave. You know, going back further, you probably had the content layer of the internet as a wave. And then before that, you had to build up the backbone. Um, so there are these, these waves that come out. And, uh, and they help for improvement, right? Like you said, like you're taking a, a, an instance of something that's occurred over the last five months, and you've now turned this into a whole new industry um, of change. And yeah, you've lost a few players and startups along the way because they couldn't pivot and change to adapt. But then you've got a whole new uh, grouping of businesses that have come out that are going to make the rest of the world survive. So the business is always changing and shifting and you've got to really have your hand on the pulse uh, as a startup because you don't want to be um, missing the boat and falling down and, and obviously failing when you can pivot and make a change in the right direction. And there's been a lot of companies in the, the last little while that we've seen that have made the pivot and they've just skyrocketed. They were like, man, I thought we were doing the right things in the right spot, but then we made this change and boom, everybody loves us and we're, we're solving a real, a real life problem here. So, you know, sometimes it takes a bigger problem to find your own pivot and change, right? Absolutely, absolutely. On your, uh, you know, you've kind of gone through this journey from where you've come, come from on the investing side, the things that you like about the startups and the CEO and, and types of ways of investing now, is there, um, on your due diligence side, is there something that you expect to really look for at the beginning when you're diving into a company to make the investment? So what do I look for when I'm looking at making an initial investment? I mean, first and foremost, for me, it does come down to the people and, and the team that's there. And so let's, you know, di let's kind of deconstruct that a little bit. Um, one, do you trust the person? <laughs> Can you act, do you have good rapport in the sense that this is someone that you think is going to act as, a, in a sense, a fiduciary or, you know, you know spend your capital well? Um, you know, two, you know, look for relevancy in terms of their background and prior experience set and does how well does that match up towards this new endeavor that they're trying to repeat um, or trying to build? Are they repeat? Like, is there, if you're building something in, um, in the at telecom sector, is this an entrepreneur that spent the last 20 years coming out of that sector, therefore has, you know, some unique insight into the opportunities at hand and already has an established network of, of players who could be potential partners or collaborators? I mean, those are our added benefits. But do they also have the entrepreneurial mindset in terms of recognizing opportunity and being able to build towards that? Um, so that's on the people side of things. You know, from, from a preference standpoint, I'm just also, I think intellectually, I get very interested by business. So it's, you know, sometimes it's an indicator of just where the world is going, how we operate. So I personally like to try to understand a little bit, you know, what's the nature of the industry? Where are the opportunities emerging? Why do we believe so? Um, so I've, I've almost tried to build my own investment kind of thesis when I look at these opportunities and you know, try to figure out what are the key drivers? You know, what are the assumptions that have to hold together and be true if something like this were to succeed? And then kind of flip it, 
the bottom line instead and be like, okay, what are all the different things that could happen that could take, you know, a company and derail them from their business, their business plan. Um, and I'll admit, you know, up to this point, I never thought of something like a pandemic, you know, coming out. And that's clearly, you know, changed the nature of many businesses um, in a handful of cases for the better in many cases for the worse. Um, but, you know, this, this is all learning. This is, this is how we build experience. Well, it helps. Uh, it certainly helps you prepare uh, on your next investments and look at things a little bit more constructively and uh, how to balance out your portfolio to make sure that your businesses can survive anything. It may not have been in the forefront of your mind two years ago to say, I got to have a company that can survive any single occurrence that it can happen. Or is it more bucketed into short, midterm and long-term companies? And, you know, just on our end, when we make investments, we look at that. We look at saying, is this company something that can be taken out in three years versus five versus 10? And as a, as a VC, you look at those things because what's the reason they're going to get taken out? Well, they've got a really um, unique tech or they've got a really unique proposition that has a fast turnaround rate and people are going to want in it right away or they're going to get taken out by a bigger player. So you're always kind of looking at uh, streamlining that process to make it as convenient as possible for your LPs or your investors. But at the same time, you got to find the right companies that are coming in and they've got to pivot and change to be able to adapt to that environment. So a lot of that is a great analysis of how you would look at that business and decide, should I make an investment or not? So uh, I, yeah, do that approach. I think we should go on on that concept of duration even a little bit more because you know, in particular from other investors, I mean, uh, you know, I've seen some angel investors who are doing the first type of investment and they haven't really realized um, how long it can be and just how many risks are involved. Um, you know, angel investing or really super early stage investing, you know, can be an extremely long road. Like, you know, it's, it may not be two, three, four years. Of, as a, that'd be, I think, a short duration. It'd be probably more like 10, 11, 12, 13. And even then, there might not be an exit. So, you know, it could be, that, that could be a long, a long rule. But I think I like your idea, um, you know, thinking through like what that potential duration may be. You know, the second thing is categorically is thinking about just, you know, what the nature of what makes kind of like a VC-ish type of investment. And, you know, I think that if one were to, uh, I've looked at the numbers, I've read different reports on the numbers. I mean, it's a, such a small percent. Like VC is such a specialized type of asset class. Um, so they are looking for very particular circumstances, right? Where companies have hyper growth, extremely large markets, have exit, you know, potential value. That doesn't mean that other investment opportunities are bad, like real estate, you know, I know it's not for the topic of this discussion, but it's just being said that there are different companies that might have a different type of investment and, and risk profile, right? There may be investable opportunities that are designed to spit out dividends or provide yields. As an example, I would say is, is you know things in the area of, of infrastructure or renewable energy projects the world that i kind of lived in you know that's much more akin towards this production of yields and some investors really like yield they like to know that i put out this amount i'm going to get x amount percent per year and for x number of years and make money that way yeah and agree with that you have to diversify you you, you uh, portfolio wise it doesn't make sense to put all your eggs in one basket but how you're going to diversify that mix is really going to be dependent on your risk factor of course but if you are looking for ways to bring in different uh, different yields in different markets there's also again we go back to that time duration i'd like to have something that's going to mature and come out in 10 years versus something that's 
maybe going to be a quick turnaround and maybe gives me a little bit of bump in three years, but is it really worth it? Can I hold on to something that's going to be um, built up in a longer 13 year period and come out with a bigger win? Well, how do I support that all the way through? And can I support that all the way through as an investor? So there's always different angles you got to look at it for sure. And uh, great insights to that. Um, in your, uh, when you're deep diving with your teams, you've, uh, you know, you've started to learn a lot about them. You're really into the CEO. Do you lead the rounds? Is that something you look at doing? Or is that kind of, uh, you leave that up to the rest of the investment crew and you just jump right in and kind of keep working your way through the, the different investments? Yeah. So as an individual investor, I have not um, led rounds in the past. Um, usually there's, there's two circumstances um, for the opportunities that I've come across. Um, either one, you have um, the company that's in a sense, the company side has set terms and they're saying, here's what we're raising. Here's the instrument that we're raising against, you know, it's kind of like, are you in or out sort of decision? Um, in, in, in other cases, there may have been one investment group that's acting, let's call it as the lead or the anchor investor. Um, and they themselves, and you know, through a course of negotiations and that, are set the terms themselves. Um, and of course, you know, you're also leaning on them and saying, okay, well, um, are they providing a signal? Do they have relevant insight and expertise into that sector? Is there a reason why you almost kind of like piggyback off of them and know that uh, if they're going in into an opportunity that it might add some more you know, credence to why you would want to make an investment yourself. So two different circumstances, but uh, you know, often um, that's where institutional investors often, you know, get involved, um, which is like, you know, they're writing the right check sizes. Um, they're bringing institutional knowledge, let's say, call it, uh, and the right expertise to, in quotes, you know, act as that lead um, for all the other investors to kind of like follow on. No, and that's, that's a, a good way of looking at it for sure, because you're going to have people that come in with different experience on both sides. They can come up with money, they can come in with knowledge, they can come in with coaching. So advising and leading can be across any of those spectrums it tends to fall to the one that puts the terms together and puts the money on the table. But at the same time, there's others that can lead through other examples because they know the sector, they know the space. So those things really do help as well. And you kind of have to have all of them in order to make a really good DD and a really good investment opportunity for you to put your money into. It doesn't have to just be I'm money and I'm gone. So um, I guess in that process, it kind of leads up to the next question is that, do you like taking board seats? Do you, do you enjoy the follow-on investment? Do those things all kind of work together for you in, uh, you know, in this trajectory of investing? Typically, no, I don't take board seats. Um, I have. I'm currently on a board right now of a company that I've invested in, but typically not. Okay. All right. I guess if you're already doing coaching and you're helping along the way, you don't, can't have to do everything. You got to find little pieces that work best and help that company grow, right? Um, is there uh, other ways that you, you mentioned coaching, you're doing that a lot of, is there other things that you look at to help the startups that you're investing in outside of just being finance? I mean, I think that's kind of like usually a case by case example. So number one, most of the people, again, the, the early stage investments I've made are people that I've known for, for, for many years. And so, you know, our personal and casual conversations can often just kind of like turn and gravitate towards business. So, you know, they will have discussions about strategy. We'll have discussions about customer acquisition. We'll have discussions about thinking about financing and what the financing plans may be and how to approach that. And 
Um, you know, what are when in right when is the right time to do that? How should we do that? Who should we be approaching? Um, those are different ways in which I've helped companies out. Um, sometimes on a formal basis, but many times on a kind of like an ad hoc and formal basis. So, you know, you can you can kind of like say an informal coach at times or just a soundboard. Um, but a lot of it is just, you know, the entrepreneurs themselves, they're the ones that are inside. They're living it day to day. They're really fighting the fires. They have all of you know the market insight. The best from the outside is, is to listen and to um, perhaps just recognize sometimes, and, you know, we all get, can sometimes get caught up in the weeds and be, you know, and so to have someone that's on the outside that it isn't caught up in all the detail and try to pull back and say, well, hold on, here's the bigger picture that I'm seeing because I don't have a thousand things on my mind like you do. Um, you know, what do you think about this? And, uh, and then, yeah, you're just kind of like, you know, exchanging ideas. Every now and then, you know, you try to make a, a good relevant introduction, whether that, you know, can be to a potential future investor, whether that can be to a potential employee, perhaps even a customer, user. Um, so I think, you know, most uh, people or, you know, myself, certainly I love to kind of like cheerlead the companies that I've made an investment in. Um, that's just one guy running around saying, I think they're great. I think they're great. Try it. Hey, it, it all helps. Uh, there was, uh, there's one investor that we work with and he, he does very much that he's the, he is their biggest fan. I'm the biggest fan of every investment I make as well. Great. And, uh, but he, he says, uh, you know, he, every week he's posting stuff for each one of the companies and it's relevant to get people talking about it. And I find that that's, uh, it's just an extra layer that you weren't going to get that gives you some eyeballs and gives you some attention to the business. And, you, you know, you got to make those strides to do it. And, and if you don't have investors supporting you that way, then you're kind of working against the grain again. You need as much support as you can get when you're this early stage, right? So yeah. I, I love that you're, you really think about these things and um, you're trying to make intros and do other things that help boost them up because that's the key to supporting, uh, uh, not only supporting your investment, but starting uh, helping that startup. Yeah, and sometimes it's just as much as like, you know, giving them a supportive word um, because, you know, being, you know, having been an entrepreneur and having gone through some, you know, tough times myself, like it could get, you know, being an entrepreneur is really difficult and, you know, odds are stacked up against you in terms of like levels of success. And so it just, you can get so much energy when one of your investors, you find them, they're tweeting out like, hey, this is an amazing product. You should really try it. Or, you know, just hearing some positive words of encouragement. I mean, you know, sounds simple, but it can really go a long way and really help out founder psychology. And it, it's a good point you brought up there on psychology. There's been a lot kind of coming out about this and especially in the early stage side, we did a panel not too long ago on mental health um, with Cherry Rose and a, a good group of um, startups that fit into mental health. And it's, uh, it's interesting how many people don't ask the questions and don't reach out for the help but it's interesting that from your side, what you're doing is you're kind of giving that approach by even if it's a random phone call and saying, Hey, Teresa, maybe uh, I want you to meet this person. You know, maybe they didn't expect it, but it opened their day up and it helped that up and down curve, the roller coaster, it helped level it out a little bit and make it a little bit more exciting that day because you put a few minutes of time into helping them or talking with them. And I think a lot of that goes a long ways because sometimes you think it's a, a long, dark journey when uh when you start off because you really don't know all the things to do and all the levers to pull and it takes a lot of time to get through that so any of that extra help can be helpful well i'm glad that you had a panel session on that subject it's an important subject and it's one that uh, i think is being raised and being more understood now which is great but i think there's still a long way to go and 
yeah, there's a lot of, you know, oftentimes a lot of hidden thoughts that run, you know, through this, you know, through the brains of, of entrepreneurs and a lot of fears, whether they're warranted or not warranted. Um, I mean, you're always on the verge of being bankrupt in a sense, right? Like, even if you just raise a round, it's just like, how much time do you have before you're back down to runway zero? Yeah. So <laughs> you're always fighting that time and there's a lot of pressure that, that, that's there. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an important subject. And it's great that you're doing that work. I, I love that line because um, I always tell everybody that I'm on the brink of uh, bankruptcy every day. That's how I run, but that's how I have to run in my head. I have to always feel that I'm uh, under the gun to make that movement because if I don't, I don't have, I have to create a drive somewhere. And if you don't have somebody that uh, is always on you, you got to create that urgency. So every morning it's like, I got to get these things done because if I don't, I'm going to fail tomorrow. And I think if you find your pressure points and what helps you move, then nothing feels like stress. Every day you're just moving it forward a little bit at a time and you always feel you accomplish something. So in your mind, you're like, today I got to make this list and everything else is good as long as I get this done. And the next day I got to get this done. And every day you're moving that needle a little bit further, but you have to keep putting your mind in that direction because that's what's going to help you overcome those darker, harder moments because you've made an achievement and those little achievements help a bigger picture. So, yeah. yeah. So there's uh, um, well, a couple more questions left that I, that I want to jump into. And um, I guess uh, one of them is because of COVID, there's been such a big shift and change. The markets seem to be taking off, which everybody's like, what? Well, I thought we were in a recession. What's going on? But then on the other side, you've got all the investment, early stage startup investments, and things have changed a lot. There's been a like breaks have been slammed on and VCs are still kind of dabbling in the market. What have you seen? And has it changed anything around how you're investing? So two different spectrums there. And the question being, um, what have I seen in, in kind of the current marketplace right now? You know, on the public side, yeah, it's a head scratcher on why that one's increasing. But I mean, you know, there's a, a couple of uh, a stories that have kind of been released in the past few days where, you know, we've the market's seen an increase in the number of almost like day trading, you know, stock accounts and <laughs> number of retail investors that have begun trading for the first time. So, uh, you know, there's, I saw one headline today that's just talking about how there's a lot of people that just traditionally like to gamble on sports and now there's no sports to be gambled on and hey, they're starting to move towards gambling on the stock market. So who knows? I don't know if that's the greatest signal for the stock market. In terms of the venture industry, um, you know, since, since March, you know, here in, in Canada, um, I think there was a period of a couple of months where people were just digesting what this all meant, trying to understand how this would impact portfolio companies. Um, and I know in, in several conversations, you know, different funds have made concerted efforts to really understand um, the, the existing, you know, state, states of their portfolio companies, particularly from a financial standpoint. Um, and so exercises were went through where effectively most, any new deals were put on pause, put on hold, we need a period here where we can look at our portfolio and start to do some triaging or categorizing, you know, of the portfolio companies. So it's an exercise that one goes through and says, okay, well, here's a category that probably are going to be fine. Here's a category that may have been irreparably, you know, irreparably harmed. You know, they're put into a different bucket. And then here's another, you know, bucket here, which, you know, we might have to provide more assistance on. Um, and so well, that's a, that's a 
a lengthy, you know, a, a lengthy exercise to go through. And so I think that, you know, different funds have been doing that. Um, and now, given that we're about three months out, um, you know, we'll begin to see just what that appetite is for, for new investments. I mean, if you follow kind of like the Twitterverse, you hear people like to say that they're open for business, um, but we'll see. I mean, it's very interesting that you know, some of the conversation and questions that are coming out right now is, you know, in this, in this era where we aren't meeting face-to-face, -face, like how does an investor invest in a company where they've never actually met the founder or the leadership team in person and you're doing everything over video? Some people, like how comfortable are you with it? I guess some investors are saying that, you know, yeah, they'll do it. Uh, but others are just like, you know, no, I need to be able to really look at someone's whites in the eyes and, and understand, you know, what's happening um, to get comfortable, to make that investment. So I still think it's, you know, it's kind of early. It'll be an interesting summer to see, you know, just how much activity, um, you know, transpires in the venture market. No, I agree. And I, I think, you're you're bang on that there was a lot of pullback there's a lot of vcs and everybody trying to reassess to support their their portfolios and what's going on and now it's are they going to push it forward i've heard lots of things where uh the markets are going to keep everything slow until september and then that's where things are going to open up um i'm not sure because you have the ponzi scheme of a stock market that's going crazy and then you have the other side where um uh, you don't know the imbalance that's going on where the money that's sitting on the sidelines versus money that's going to come out. But I completely agree that there is interest in risk and it's just how well that risk is going to be packaged up. And I think if the startup is packaging it up in the right way, they're going to get interest. There's people that want to put money in, they want to help a company grow. And if it can support this ecosystem, I think you've got a, a really good position. One of the questions that uh, was asked was, um, on an investment side, do you look at uh, balance between uh, MRR or an ARR for making an investment? Do you look at what that might be and say, yeah, you know what, you're at a good stage. I would be more interested to dive into a company if you've got 10,000 MRR versus 1,000 MRR. Right, right. Um, certainly having revenue helps. Um, there's an indicator that you have a customer set that's actually, in, you know, spending real money. So it's a proof point. And uh you know, that's, that's always, you know, a useful thing. So absolutely, like, you know, revenues are good. And, uh, you know, it's also then the, the rate at which revenues are increasing. Um, but, you know, at early stage side of things, I mean, I've certainly done investments in companies that, you know, are pre-revenue. Uh, I've learned that there's a lot of risks that come along with that. But, uh, you know, that's just part of, like, understanding um, the risk, but also the reward, you know, so, you know, that could be reflected in the valuation as well. No, that's good. And then a lot of that will come back to that CEO, how driven that person is to make that work when it's such an early stage. So yeah, more risk, more reward, but that's uh, a great way of looking at it. And you know what, you de-risk your business by having MRR and being able to grow that and getting more clients and, and whatnot. Uh, that's, that's great. Uh, so we're going to kind of round it up with two last questions. So the, the last, the second last question I have is, so of all the investments you've made and all the time you've spent in startup land and investing in pre-seed, seed round companies, is there a couple of things that really stand out that you really think that if a startup puts this into the mix, they've got a better chance of survival and winning? And maybe you've got a great story to support it where, you know, this company you went after, they were doing, trying to shuffle around, they found the 
the golden nugget and they were able to take off? Like, and maybe it's your own business. Like, is there some advice that you can share and some really good learnings that you found that these types of companies did and it really, really won everybody over? I mean, I'll speak more from my entrepreneur hat, but I've seen this with, with my, um, you know, the investor hat. Um, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to tenacity and, and looking at, you know, founders that when they are going to run up into the wall and they will run up against that wall, um, how do they react and how do they change and, and do they have that inner strength to just keep going and saying, okay, you know, this path that, we're, that we've run into, it's a dead end. We're going to refigure this out and we're going to go a different direction. And I don't think that that's a skill that can really be taught. I think it's hard to even detect people. So, you know, you're trying to make a gauge on if they have that. But uh, I've seen, um, you know, quite a bit of companies that have, have you know, um, had success where, yeah, they didn't get it right, you know, when they came out of the gates and they ran into a wall, but they quickly figured it out. Um, I think right now is a very interesting time where you have a wall that's called COVID, you know, that's, that's changing everyone's business plans. And now we're beginning to see how some people react. That's not to say that, I mean, that's, I'll, you know what, I'll leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> All right. No, tenacity is a, it's a good one. And I do agree. You need that passion. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, I guess words you can use, but I do like the tenacity that, you know, you hit a wall, you got to figure out how to move and move quick. And uh, that takes a lot of uh, key knowledge, but maybe asking questions too. So I, I think that's a, a good way to, to wrap that up. Now on, we've gone through this whole journey. We've gone through from talking to companies, learning more about them, going into deep dive, figuring out how you like to invest verticals, um, some good stories that kind of fit around there. So I guess the last question I have, and it's a, a two part question, I guess, is what do you see using the crystal ball? What do you think the environment or verticals that are going to really take off in the next 12 months? And then where do you see us all landing in the next three years? Just to kind of give the startup world a kind of a peace of mind on maybe I should shift my business now because we're going to go this way. So is there any kind of a worldly view that you want to, you want to share? Wow. Um, I don't know if there's enough, if I have enough insight right now on where things are going to be three years, I think the things that I keep my eye on are clearly, you know, the vaccine and our ability to get back to get the, getting the economy moving. And then what does that be, really look like? Um, how much fear is there of continued contagion of, you know, of, of death rates? Um, and that that'll give us a sense of, you know, what the economy is going to, how it might be able to move. And so, you know, what extent um, over the next couple of years, you know, personally, I don't think it's just three months. I think we're going to, you know, we have three months longer for us to go, um, you know, for that. Um, in terms of like the areas of opportunity, you know, I think it was, I've heard it was Mark Cuban that said, um, it's interesting in that what COVID has done is it's forced, you know, such behavior change that some things that might have taken five to 10 years to naturally evolve in terms of consumer behavior have shrunk down to two months. So like the rise you know, of, of e-commerce as a way of purchasing right now, um, the way that, that healthcare is going to be delivered, that could be an entirely you know, new thing. So, you know, areas I think that are in a sense benefiting, um, you know, kind of bringing it back to where we were um, in our conversation, earlier in our conversations, online health, I think is a segment. I think that things in terms of remote working, work from home, tools that allow people to be more productive from their own homes, 
Um, I think that that's going to be an, uh, a large area um, that's continuously evolving there. Um, and then, you know, the e-commerce and everything around that ecosystem. Uh, that's probably already there. I mean, we see what's happening with Shopify. But uh, yeah, I think that that's another segment. No, that's great. And you and I, I fully support those. I think that, that you're bang on, on on how you can look at these different verticals of where they're going to be exceptional growth because there is going to be a, shi a shift and a pivot to how companies are, are functioning now. There might not be as many in the office, maybe more people at home. Uh, there's going to be a lot of on-demand. I, I can't remember the name. I've been fighting it in my head. I think it was uh, Consumers Distributor. Consumers, consumers Distributing? Yes, that one. Like, it feels like we're going back to that company, which was like 1982 or something, the where everybody's going to go yeah. through the online magazine and pick it and then they deliver it. Wait a sec, we've already been doing that everywhere. So the world's really just retracting a little bit and going back to the warehouse model where you just drive up and there's someone sitting at a desk and you tell them what you want and they hand it to you and you go. Uh, the least amount of interaction. And, and one of, uh, we, on one of our interviews with um, uh, Diane, she's an investor, she said, you know, I think there's going to be a big shift for people that are going to work from home and they're going to go back to this nine to five work whenever that is but they're going to be going out and spending more group time with friends and they're going to spend less time grouping in business. And I kind of like the total reverse of that. And I was like, you know what? That's actually kind of fascinating that we still want to flock together, but maybe we don't need to do that in a business context. We can do business behind the scenes, but let's do something together and that's how we're going to formulate. So maybe there becomes startup opportunities in how you get more people to socialize and collaborate outside of business. So sure. I guess there's a whole market of things that can happen and who knows what'll be there, but I enjoyed hearing the crystal ball and uh, I super appreciated getting the time to chat with you and go through all of this as I always do. Lots of notes. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure if you want them, but there are all these great things that you've shared and said. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And if there's any final things that you want to share, you're more than welcome to you can open the platform for you to uh, give us your last thoughts. Uh, there's some questions we did try to answer the best we could. So thank you everybody that joined us. And if you got any last words, you're more than welcome to steal it and take the show away. No, I'm just saying everyone that's there. Thank you. Thank you for, for this it's a fun conversation. I just want everyone to, to stay safe. Be well. Perfect. Well, Bernie, I appreciate it again. Thank you very much. Have a fantastic day. And uh, we'll follow up with an email and uh, look forward to uh, continuing our discussions. Great. Sounds good. Take care. Take care. Have a great okay. day.